why is it we're always talking to men when it's about fearlessness and about superhuman distances and climbing the highest, highest mountain? Is it that women aren't doing it? And of course, the answer to that is no, of course they are doing it. There's hundreds of women doing incredible things and we need to celebrate their stories. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the Power of Storytelling podcast. Well, hello. It's lovely to have you with us today. Today is a special edition of the podcast because my guest that's joining us today, we're going to be talking about being fearless because I know when it comes to telling your story, to putting yourselves out there, that it's fear quite often that can hold you back. It stops you from getting that visibility. It stops you from putting yourself out there in the way that you need to be for people to be able to find you, for them to understand the impact that you can have on their lives. And the reason that this guest is very special to me is because we started out in my very, very first job in journalism at the lovely Mix 96 in Aylesbury. And she was parachuted in for six weeks to work with me. And she's gone on to achieve incredible things. She used to be the presenter on BBC Breakfast. She's now like called on to do presenting of awards and everything else. She's recently just run the London Marathon. She is an epic broadcaster in her own right. The wonderful Louise Minchin. It is such a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I still remember the jingle, Mix 96, do you remember? And you were my boss. I wasn't. You were meant to be my boss. But neither of us knew what was quite going on. And that's why it works, because we just kind of said, right, let's just chip in together and make it work how we need to. Oh, that's so funny, because I genuinely thought in my memory that you were my boss. But you're right. You... You knew what was going on, didn't you? Because you'd been there longer than I had. And we were running this tiny news desk, just the two of us. And you would do the morning shift, wouldn't you? And I'd do the afternoon shift. And we'd like leave little clips and stories for each other. And actually, it was one of the most fun. Um, and I still talk about it now. I mean, the news stories were not big, were they, Nicola? They really weren't. It was local. Yet. It was two ducks lost. Local radio it's... at its finest. <laughs> A post office, a poster went missing. Oh, I loved it so much. And, and we all, you know, we, we really got on, didn't we? It was so sweet. We really did. And I always remember when you first started presenting as well. So you, you were doing your first news shifts as a presenter on BBC News 24, as it was then. And I was reading the news on BBC Radio 1. And I remember you messaged me and went, I've just heard you read the news. I've just done this presenting gig. What did you think of mine? I thought you sounded great. And it was that we've just been kind of in parallel worlds for a very, very long time. I mean, you know, 
obviously reading the news on BBC News 24 was, I was really excited, but I just thought reading the news on Radio 1 was really cool. That's what I thought about your job. It's funny, isn't it? We always like, we have these things and we think that they are like, you know, wherever we want to be. But let's talk a bit about your story because I think you were very clear in terms of where you wanted to get to and where you wanted to be. And I know that you had goals that you put into place and you were very good at following those goals. How important was that for you to be able to get to where you were to have, you know, one of the most coveted jobs in British TV? Now, you see, you have an insight into me that many of my friends don't have and actually probably my family don't even have because people sort of assume that you end up on the BBC breakfast sofa because, I don't know, you just got a bit of luck along the way. And I did have luck along the way, definitely. But I was, even when I knew you then, very specific about what I wanted to do because even in the conversation we've just had, as soon as you, in our level where we were on local radio, became good at being a reporter, people wanted to give you more responsibility and make you news editor. And, I, and that's kind of the way, you know, I know you sort of went down that route a bit as well, didn't you? But I was very, very clear. I always wanted to be the one, and this is why it's so good to be on your podcast, telling the story. That's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be front and center of finding out what was going on getting the information and being able to tell that to other people rather than, you know, being in charge of the running order or what's the headline, you know, what's the lead story. For me, that was not where I wanted to be. And I was, you're right, very, very direct with that. And, and many times in my career, I took what I would call sideways moves rather than upward moves. And, and you know, I took a massive salary cut, for example. I had been working before I met you on the Today program as a radio production assistant. And I took I was on, and I remember the figures and it seems sort of staggering now, but I was on £18,000 a year and I knew I wanted to be a reporter. So I sent myself back to university and I did a radio journalism course. And my first job in radio was £12,000. So not only had I taken on a big debt, but I'd taken on a massive pay cut. And I, you're right. I, I always had a really, I think, luckily for me, a sort of laser focus on what, where I wanted to end up. And so when people were watching my career, they probably think I made strange moves, but I wasn't. I was always knowing where, where I hoped to be. And breakfast was, was my dream job because I just, I love the, the connection with the audience. I love the different stories because you would be doing the really hard news stories of the day, but also those other stories of endeavor and courage. And that's what my book is about, those stories as well. And I love that mix. And actually... You know, I knew I really wanted to be there, but I, I, I had a lot of, I had luck with that in the end because I realized some years ago, so now maybe 14 years ago, that I was never going to get that job. I was just never going to get it because Sean Williams and Susanna Reid were doing it and they were very happy because it's a wonderful job to do. And I just had to think, I just sort of literally had come to the decision where I'd gone, okay, so that's not going to be my story. And I have to get over myself and get over that and move on and, you know, move to somewhere else. So I, was, I had already gone through that process when suddenly they decided to move BBC Breakfast to Salford, to Media City. And Sean decided she didn't want to go. So out of the blue, the thing that I'd always wanted came back. So you never know. I mean, I just think you've got to prepare for these things, haven't you? And sometimes you, you hit what you think is a brick wall, but it may not, it may not be. It was just the most extraordinary 
and thing. But you're right, I was always really focused on what I wanted to do. And I think also that love of wanting to tell other people's stories. And I think the thing for mm. me about you is that you're so personable. I mean, you would have heard it right at the start of this podcast. You can hear the pair of us. We just get on so, so well. And it's it's that personable being able to speak to people, connect with people in a really easy way that I think endeared so many of the viewers to you as well. It's because I'm, if that is, and thank you, that's really flattering and slightly embarrassing. You know, we're, you know, I have still kind of imposter syndrome like any female, I would say, but that, I might be wrong. It's really, I think it's because I am interested in people. I like hearing, again, their stories. So that's the number one thing. I genuinely do. And I always have done. And, you know, even when I was like nine, I used to listen to The World Tonight, age nine, which is very inappropriate, by the way. I was always interested in news and the whys and the what's and the wherefores. And then I think what I wanted to do, particularly when I was on BBC Breakfast, and I think I'm really glad that I did it in the way I wanted to do it. I always wanted to tell people this the hard story sometimes. I mean, there were days when I had to wake up and tell people really devastating news. I mean, you have to look at the Manchester bombing, for example, but tell them the bad news in the, uh, not the gentlest, but in the most, you know, in, a, in kind of holding their hand. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, I'm here, it's going to be okay. I've got some terrible things to tell you, but let me take you through it. So I really felt a connection with the audience. So I just make, I kind of joke about it and said, you know, you wake up and I'm, I hope I, I told you the bad news as nicely as I possibly could. And I think hopefully that's what I did, you know, with integrity and truth and, and all the rest of it. And also people ask me, did I, you know, I, you know, you know, I read so many bad things. How did I feel emotionally about that? But I think, you know, I did definitely engage with those stories because if you don't, then you're not human and you can't tell it in that way that is credible and people want to hear from you. And you managed to do quite a few things whilst you were, were at BBC Breakfast. And the first thing was to raise the bar and the talking point around the menopause. So starting to mm -hmm. talk around the menopause, which was a huge, huge thing at the time. What was that like for you being part of the story? Because we're always told as journalists, you know, don't become the story. And there you were mm -hmm. actually opening up and, and being really open about it. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting from a sort of PR and a storytelling point of view, because I'm not stupid. I'm a journalist and I know the best stories are personal, aren't they? And we, we know that. That's, what, that's the power of selling. And that's why people get engaged with it. And I mean, menopause, um, I, won't, I won't bore you with the backstory about that, but basically I'd been going through it. Um, I'd already kind of outed myself, as it were, at work because I'd had to. Um, for some, some in, and something happened, which made that meant I had to go to my boss and say, look, I'm not being fussy. You know, that's not me. I'm actually got a medical issue is the reason why I need the studio temperature cold. And then I'd already, every time we did menopause, anything like a tiny thing on it, we get this huge response from the audience. And I just thought, I know there's something there. So I kept asking if we could do, you know, let's explore menopause. Let's talk about it. Let's do some pieces on it. And I asked for about a year but it was never right. It was Brexit or it was an election or some other thing got in the way. And eventually my producer, wonderful producer came to me, Lisa, and said, Louise, actually, we're, gonna, we're not just going to do a day or even a report. We're going to do a whole week on menopause. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm blown away. And she said, but we want you 
to do the piece at the start of it. And of course, you know, all my natural instincts, like you say, as a journalist, like, oh gosh, you know, you don't want to do that. And also, you know, menopause then, and things have thankfully really changed partly because of what we did, um, was really a taboo. I mean, you know, that was it could have been career threatening to go live on television and tell everybody, oh, hi, I'm a menopause woman. I've got all this stuff going down that's making my head go funny and all sorts of things. Um, but I just knew that that was going to be the most powerful way of doing it. And actually, I thought, you know, it matters to me. It matters to me because I want women to get help. I want them to know that they're not alone. I want their families to know what's going on. And I just thought, actually, sometimes you have to put yourself on the line. And I'm really, I'm really glad I did because I know genuinely that has changed other people's lives and people, it, which is just a really amazing thing to do as a journalist because we, that's not what we do, is it? We tell stories. We don't necessarily change make things better for people. So, so I think it, I'm really glad I did it, but I did not in any way do it lightly. And it felt like sort of jumping off the edge of it. You know, you talked about the thing about fear and putting yourself out there. Sort of felt like jumping off the edge of a cliff and thinking, I don't know whether I'm going to land on rocks or in nice, I mean, I love cold water, so nice cold water that's going to envelop me and it's going to be okay. So, but it felt very scary. So one of the other things that you did whilst you were at BBC Breakfast was you started taking on triathlons. Now, I always remember you as being very fit anyway. You were always out doing things. You were always out in the, in like, you know, the open air and off exercising. You used to do inline skating. And I remember you bringing the skates into the studio with you. See, you've forgotten all of this, but I remember it all. I forgot that. Yeah, you used to do that. So when you went on I your- I only just got rid of those skates recently. It's <laughs> been 20 years ago. So when you were going on your triathlon journey, you took the audience with you, which is just so amazing Mm. as well. Tell us about that, like the journey that you went on, because that's going to segue into the next bit about being fearless and really going for things. Okay, so I, I, I mean, you're right. I probably was always sporty. I liked being outside, but I didn't really do sport in the way that I do now. I mean, that's for sure. So it all started with a um, cycling challenge that we did on BBC Breakfast pre-Christmas in 2012, where we went to the velodrome and we raced against each other, the presenters. And I had literally never been to a velodrome, never sat on a bike with drop handlebars, let alone cycled around, you know, this ridiculous piece sides in front of 4,000 people live. I mean, it's, it's so intense. And on that day, Bill Turnbull had said, I can't be beaten by a girl. Now, if you know me, Nicola, you know that's likely to light a little bit of a fire. <laughs> so the thing I set out to do on that day was beat Bill. I beat him by some ridiculous things like 0.5 of a second. But way more important than that, I just went over that finishing line and just had this amazing wash of adrenaline and excitement and just went straight back to my life when I was 15 and I used to race swimming competitively and I loved it. And I just thought, gosh, I've just completely forgot how much I love competitive sport. Long story short, uh, a friend left there, bought a bike the next week. I mean, my husband thought I was utterly nuts, you know, the old bike and all the gear, no idea. And then a friend of mine asked me about doing a triathlon. I didn't even know what sports, I knew what sports were involved. So it's swimming, I'm going to do it in the right order, by the way, swimming, cycling and running. I didn't know then what order they went in. And I did my first triathlon about six months later. Again, loved it, hated some of it, you know, nearly cried. I mean, cried at the finish, cried, I think halfway through the run because I still hate running. 
well, I have a funny relationship with running. Sometimes I love it. And then, and then I just went from there to, I mean, just uh, as only I can sometimes do, uh, when saw people co- that were competing in their age group in world and ch- European championships and just thought, now that looks really exciting. Imagine me, I've got a job reading out loud, representing my country for a sport. And I went on, did it. And I went to, I think it was seven or something European and world, world championships. Um, in my age group, I nearly came last in most of those in the, in the world, you know, in those big internationals, but it was incredible. And I'm still doing all sorts of different sports. And I just do more and more kind of endurance sports. Like you just mentioned, I've just done the London marathon and just have get so much out of it physically and mentally. It's been an incredible, wonderful journey that I'm still on and I have no idea where it's going to end. I think that also that highlights that fearlessness of just hang on a second I I'm gonna go for this and it doesn't matter that I don't end up first second third on the on the medal podium or anything else I'm just gonna go for it because actually do you know what maybe me doing this apart from me getting an incredible amount of enjoyment from it I'm gonna take people along with me on the ride and they're going to feel inspired that I'm doing this at this stage of my life. I didn't, do you know, that never occurred to me, literally never occurred to me. And it, what's been amazing about that is, you know, because my first book I wrote was called Dare to Try, obviously T-R-I as in triathlon. And I know, you know, so people get in touch going, I've just, you know, they've, they've qualified for world championships because they saw me do it. So for me, that was never kind of in the zeitgeist. I had no idea. For me, it was always that thing around. And I feel very blessed about this, actually. It's the what if, you know, I mean, that is so ridiculous. Let's not, let's give it a go. And I think to your point about you don't, I personally, and people always say to me, you're so competitive. I'm like, well, no, I'm not really. I just like the challenge, the adventure and the what ifness. And it doesn't matter to me if it doesn't happen. Because I think the journeys, you know, the journeys that I've, the things I've done to do, for example, Norseman, which is an extreme triathlon where you jump off a ferry and then cycle 180 kilometers. And the, the, the journeys that I have to get there are almost more important than the actual event. I mean, the event was incredible, but, you know, I can remember quite clearly running up and down Snowden. These are memories that are locked into my life. And to your point about fearlessness, they empower me in other parts of my life. Do you see what I mean? When, when I'm, and I, I was running the London Marathon with my daughter and she found it really hard and she got through it. You know, there could have been a moment when she didn't. And I just think if you do tough things and you get through them, like it might be a marathon and for somebody, everybody's barriers are different. It could be a 5K for someone. You take that in other parts of your life. And when something happens that is hard or difficult, even if you don't think back to the marathon, it's still in your brain and in your brain power. It's very, very empowering. Yeah, it really is. Talking about inspirational people, inspirational women, what I love is you've got a new book coming out. It's called Fearless and I've read it and it's amazing. Thank but you. what I found really amazing about it is you could have written a book. You could have sat there and you could have spoken to all the people about all of the things that they'd done and everything else. But not you. 
you actually went out there and did them alongside them. And for me, that is what gives this book the edge because you are talking through, hang on a second, I'm not sure about diving off a ferry and doing a swim from Alcatraz to the coast from going under like ice and you are like diving under ice. I mean, my gosh, when I was reading that, I was literally, because I sometimes I feel quite claustrophobic. So I was just like, I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like to go through that in pitch black. What was it like for you to go through those challenges and be alongside people and women in particular who just embrace it and they feel the fear and they mm. do it anyway? For me, the thing about this book, and it very much, it, it, it's an amalgamation, isn't it, of the two sides of my life. So it's about storytelling and it's about women because I'm very passionate that I don't think women's stories get told and celebrated, particularly of endeavor and endurance and courage in the same way that men's stories do. And you know, because you read it, there was a moment when I was on breakfast and I was just like, why is it we're always talking to men when it's about fearlessness and about superhuman distances and climbing the highest, highest mountain, is it that women aren't doing it? And of course, the answer to that is no, of course they are doing it. There's hundreds of women doing incredible things and we need to celebrate their stories. So so for me, it's about storytelling, but it's also that thing about, you know, I love, as you know, I'm passionate about the transformative power of sport. And every woman in this book is doing something amazing in sport, whether they're playing rugby or indoor climbing as a paraclimber. And you're right, I could have just sat at home and done it like this, but I think hopefully, and, and it's so lovely that you've read it, you get something different out of that about me being put through my paces, them as well, and me standing beside them and doing the thing that they love. Hopefully you get, I don't know what you get, but you, hopefully you might be at home inspired to think, actually, do you know what? I can be fearless. And these women are not fearless. They just choose, as you say, to go and challenge boundaries and push at the edges of things and hold down a job. One of my women in the books, Lucy Gossage, who is a cancer oncologist and also a 14 times Ironman winner. They wouldn't be in the book if there wasn't something special about each one of them. And I learned from them so much about resilience, about courage, about determination, about, you know, just also edges. You know, you talked about claustrophobia. You know, there was one when I went wild caving and that might be fine for everybody. It was not fine for me. You know, we all have different edges and how they push at different edges and they're doing something that they love. And I just, it was so great to be alongside them doing it at the same time. So of those, which was the hardest for you? Which was the one that really pushed you to your limits? I want to mention two, if that's okay. So first of all, aforementioned wild caving, my idea of actual hell. I'm like you, claustrophobic. I thought I would go into a big cave and there'd be cavernous and we'd look at, you know, look at lovely rocks and climb over boulders. No, we climbed through a tiny hole in the ground and went straight into these narrow, wet, dark tunnels. And I properly had to really, really marshal all I know about how not to panic in there because, you know, we went two hours in and then I knew it was two hours out. There's no emergency exit. There's no rescue. If the lights go out, you're absolutely stuffed and you have to stay there. So it gives me sweaty hands thinking about it. Very, very challenging. Not enough money in the world to make me go back, by the way. <laughs> Number two was, was something that took me by surprise. So we went up Snowdon on a charity walk and we were doing two mountains, actually. 
And I just made a mistake. And this is really easy to do. I've been up Snowdon quite a few times. Um, on the way up, it was we knew it was going to be cold at the top. It started drizzling. I said to one of the safety organisers, I was like, oh, should I bother putting on my waterproofs? Answer to yourself, always listen to yourself and your own gut because my gut was telling me I need to put on my waterproofs. I didn't. By the time I got to the top, I was soaked. It was three degrees. There was a howling wind. We were in you know, mist and rain. And I was right on the edge of hypothermia. I'm scared because I've, I've had hypothermia before. I know what it feels like. And I was very, very close. So, so that was a, one of the moments when I was just like, actually, I've, I've messed this up. You know, because I've messed it up before, I knew what to do. And I just put all my clothes on over my wet clothes and was okay. There are moments when I genuinely feared for my life with a reasonable fear, which is up Snowden, about to get hypothermia. And there are the ones that were not reasonable where I was going to be, I was not going to be crushed by tons of rocks, but I felt like I was when I was wild caping. It's hard, isn't it? But it's that pushing through and then still mm. making sure that you get to that end result. And, and it's like anyone listening now, if you are thinking, gosh, you know, telling my story, putting myself out there to the media in a, in a much bigger way, that fills me with dread. There are ways that mm. you can get around that. So you've just got to get really clear on the parts of your story that you do want to tell. You don't have to share everything. And once you're crystal clear on what you do want to share, what you don't want to share, that will really help you. Mindset sounds like for you, Louise, that it was a really mm. big part of being able to get through those more challenging moments. Yeah, mindset's really important. And and going back to what I said earlier, I've learned so much through this. And I, you know, for me, learning is, I found this is where I can learn a lot. Do you sort of mean in really pushing myself physically? You sort of give yourself options, don't you? Because you're like, okay, so I'm really cold. I know this is the problem. And I know some of the ways out of this. So I think every time, you know, I do something. And you'd mentioned Alcatraz when I swam from Alcatraz. <laughs> I did the escape from Alcatraz. and you know, something happened there, which I won't give away. It's kind of scary in the book, isn't it? And I was okay because I've been in situations like that before. And then just to your point again about putting yourself out there. I mean, don't think that, you know, that this book is going, you know, I've spent a lot of time writing this book. I've spent over a year researching and writing it. Look, listen to me. I'm already doing myself down. I feel nervous about it going out into the world because you do this stuff, you're really passionate about it, and you really hope that other people are going to love it, but you don't know that. You don't know that, but you've just got to take the risk. They are going to love it. It's an amazing oh, book. You like you it. Know, I do. I love it. And do you know the other thing, just as we were even talking about it and the experiences that you went through, I can see it as a TV series. So I could see you going alongside those incredible women in, in a TV series. Now you're going to tell me okay. you've already got that. <laughs> no, no. More interesting than that, I think. Don't you think I haven't talked to production companies about this? But go back to why I wrote this book. And I wrote this book because I sat there on the sofa and realized that we were not telling women's stories. Why do I have to do it in a book? Because we don't tell women's stories. So it should be a TV series. And I mean, I can't do it. I mean, I can't do it all over again. But yes, of course. I mean, I think it should be. But, you know, I think there is a resistance to that. I really do. I really, really do. Which is really interesting because actually they're sitting on 
an amazing hit because God. the number of people that would oh, be God, so mine. inspired, so inspired Come by the on. fact that these incredible people do these things, right? Yeah, of, of course. And, you know, you know, we're 50% of the, of the pop, 51% of the population. And, I, and also I make the point in the book that it, for me, it was about, we need heroes that look like us. And that you've read it, you know, that all the women in this book are all different ages, religions, uh, color, shape, sizes. You know, we are, we are just, we are diverse and we all want heroes. I think that look like us, you know, you will find in this book, somebody that you can relate to. You really will. And I just think it's really important that we do go out and do that. So, you know, so I have tried to get it on TV and I'm not saying that somebody won't do it and they'll probably be 23. <laughs> Let's have older women doing it too. Exactly. And your point about diversity and inclusion, it is so important yeah. that we have those role models because, and again, that's point with this podcast as well, that actually if you are in a minority you do feel like you've been mm -hmm. overlooked by sharing your story you can massively inspire other people to follow in your footsteps or do something similar or come and mm. find you so that they can work with you so you can help them through what you do I mean I can't say I've got a favorite by the way in the book but let's give one example so she's called Z Alima and she's a rugby player and she wants to be the first black muslim woman to play rugby for England not only that she happens to have three children and was a neonatal nurse in intensive care I mean she is one amazing woman and she is very she's very moving in the book I think because she talks about you know representation she is doing this not just for her to your point earlier about you know, she is doing this so other people who look like her or might be from the same religion, or whatever, think they can go and play rugby. That's not, you know, her father said to her, you know, oh, why are you playing rugby? It's a white man's sport. Well, no, she is living example that it's not. And I just think she's so inspiring. She's also, you know, she's kind of gone in the place now where she's doing this, as I say, not just for herself, but for other people who look like her. And that's what we all need. We want heroes of different, from different diverse places, don't we? I think we do. Yeah, I think we 100% do. Louise, what is next for you? You've obviously, you've got the book coming out, but what is next? Where are we going to see you next? Apart from the TV series, which does need to be made. Uh, the only thing I would say about the TV series, uh, again, you know, uh, what, I, what was actually really lovely about this, and I think that I have a very special, I feel really bonded to all these, these women. And I think 10 out of this 18, two of them live in America anyway, are coming to the book launch. You know, I feel really bonded to them because it was just me. It was just me with my, literally, all I had was my phone and me. And I think that, again, you know, you bring a TV crew, you'll know this. Things change. You've got to do things over again. You haven't said this right, so you've got to pick it up. So, so I think there's a freedom, a beautiful freedom for me to be able to do that. I am writing. I'm very excited about Oros I'm writing. I can't tell you what it is, though. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. But watch this space. It will be really different to this. And I'm super excited about it because, again, you know, I love storytelling and story, stories don't necessarily have to be fact. Shall I leave you with that? Well, that's made me really excited as a fellow fiction writer <laughs> as well. And like, I just think that it's so incredible that you can take people 
on a journey through a story, especially when it's not necessarily fact. You've you've put a big <laughs> smile on my face today, Louise. Good. Thank you so much for joining us on the Power of Storytelling podcast. Uh, don't forget, if you have enjoyed today's episode, leave a rate and review for us. Get in touch. Let me know what your big takeaways were. Nicola at njrpr.com. It's been great to have you with us.